Well, it's November, and that means for many churches, it's stewardship time, the time of the year when we go to our congregations and we talk about money and we talk about giving, having people consider their giving to the church for the coming year. And I've preached a lot of stewardship sermons over the years, but I have not found one better to preach than a form of John Wesley's sermon on the use of money. And that's the sermon we're going to be looking at today here on Wednesdays with Wesley. Hello, everyone. I'm Bob Kaler, pastor of Tri Lakes United Methodist Church in Monument, Colorado. And this is a, a fantastic sermon because it's eminently practical. It's something you can teach to children as well as young adults and, and older adults to think about how they're stewarding the resources that God has given to them. Now, Wesley uses Luke chapter 16 and the parable of the dishonest manager as the, the text for this sermon. Actually, he really focuses on Luke chapter 16, verse 9. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And if you know that parable, you know it's a parable about a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that his manager was squandering the master's property. So the master summons him and says, you know, what are you doing? Give me an accounting because you can't be my manager any longer. So this guy's about to be fired. He goes out and says to himself, well, uh, what am I going to do now? I'm not strong enough to dig. And I'm ashamed to beg, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out and uh, settle accounts with people who owe the master money, but I'm going to do it in a way that is favorable not only for the master, but also for these people. So he goes out and, and basically cuts down the debt. How much do you owe my master, he says to one. Take your bill. He says, well, I owe you know 100 jugs of olive oil. Well, take your bill, sit down, and make it 50. And he does this over and over again. And when he comes back to the master, he's paid off at least part of the debt that he mismanaged, but also he now has it in with those whom he has helped relieve of debt. So they will welcome him when he's fired as the manager. It's weird that Jesus uses a dishonest manager as the, as the hero of the parable, but he's talking about the use of money that Money is primarily used in relationship more so than as an economic way of building up ourselves. And so Jesus says, use worldly wealth to gain friends. Because when it's gone, you'll still have the relationship left behind. And that's what really, really matters. And not only relationships with others, but our relationship with God, because ultimately, we don't come into the world with anything. We don't leave with anything. What we do with that in the interim, that money in the interim, is what really matters. And so Wesley begins the sermon by saying that the right use of money is of utmost importance to the Christian, and yet it's a subject that's given too little attention, which is kind of amazing when you think about it, because Jesus talks an awful lot about money in the Gospels. It's, it's a major topic of conversation. But a lot of people want to to push that aside. And in fact, they have a, a different attitude about money than the scripture actually brings forth. Paul says 
that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And yet people have turned that in to say that money itself is the root of all kinds of evil. But Wesley, I think, wisely turns that on its head. And he says, indeed, money should be regarded as a gift of God for the benefits that it brings in ordering the affairs of civilization and the opportunities it offers for doing good. So money itself is not evil, it's neutral, it's a tool, and it can be used for the kingdom of God. And in the hands of the children of God, money can be food for the hungry, clothing for the naked, shelter for the stranger. We care for the widow and the fatherless, defend the oppressed. We can meet the needs of those who are sick or in pain. The reality is we need money, but the way that we steward it, the way that we use it to help others can also be the way that we are demonstrating the work of the kingdom. So Wesley says, it's therefore most urgent that God's people know how to make use of their money for his glory. And so he boils all of that down into three very simple rules, rules that anyone can memorize and anyone can use. The rules are these. In terms of money, gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Now, we hear gain all you can, and we think, wow, how is that part of a Christian sermon? Because we often think of gaining all that we can as greed and what have you, and it can be that. But remember Wesley's attitude about money. Wealth can be a source of good. So the more wealth you have, the more good you can do. But he does put some limits on this rule of gaining all that you can. First, we should not gain money at the expense of life or health that no amount of money is worth injuring our bodies for, or that deprives us of sleep or food. We should avoid things that are unhealthy, employments that will weaken us. If our reason or experience shows that a job is unhealthy for us, then we should leave it as soon as possible, even if this means that our income is reduced. So Wesley's saying we don't put our bodies on the line to gain all that we can. Neither, on the other hand, do we undertake any kind of employment which might injure our minds. This includes the pursuit of any trade which is against the law of God or against the law of the land. If we defraud the government of taxes, it's the same as if we're stealing from our fellow citizens. So we can't do something that would, that would be shady or, or outside the bounds of of scripture. There are businesses which might be innocent of themselves, which at least in England, Wesley says at this time, require cheating, lying, or other customs which are contrary to good conscience to provide an adequate income. And he says these two we should avoid. We should avoid other kinds of trades that many may pursue with complete innocence, but which you may not because of some peculiarity of your nature. Wesley uses the example, he says, I am convinced that I could not study mathematics without losing my faith, and yet many others pursue a lifetime study in that field without harm. I I know that I could not study mathematics without losing my faith. I have studied mathematics, and, and it did test my faith. But for others, that is the way of doing it. So everyone must judge for themselves and refrain from whatever may harm their mind and soul. So to stay away from things that are that are harmful to conscience, and also things that are harmful to our neighbor. We should not gain all that we can by causing injury to another. 
whether to that person's trade or his body or his soul. We don't sell goods below their market price, nor should we entice away or receive the workers that a brother has need of. It's quite wrong to make a living from selling those things which would harm a neighbor's health, and physicians should not deliberately prolong a patient's illness in order to improve his own income. This is very interesting, given our our day when healthcare is often a really difficult thing and and uh, it becomes very, very expensive. We should make sure that we are not profiting off someone else off someone else's illness or profiting off of someone else's situation. We should be able to have a good stewardship in the way that we deal with others with money. And so Wesley says, with these restrictions, it is every Christian's duty to observe the first rule, gain all you can. Gain all you can by honest work with all diligence. Lose no time in silly diversions and do not put off until tomorrow what may be done today. Do nothing by halves. Use all the common sense that God has given you and study continually that you may improve on those who have gone before you. Make the best of all that is in your hands. Gain all you can. That's an important piece because the more that we gain through honest work, the more we have to use for God's kingdom. Again, we don't use it at the, at the expense of others or at the expense of our own health or faith or, or conscience. But gaining all we can honestly allows us to become stewards of God's good work. And that leads to the second rule, which is save all you can. Now, when we hear this, we often think Wesley's saying we should pile up as much as possible into savings accounts and retirement accounts and things like that. It's not exactly what he says here. He says money is a precious gift, but it should not be wasted on trivialities. So we don't spend money on luxury foods, but to be content with simple things that our body needs. Ornaments, whether of the body, house, or garden, are a waste and should be avoided. Do not spend in order to gratify your vanity or to gain the admiration of others. The more you feed your pride in this way, the more it will grow within you. So Wesley's saying that we, we live simply so that we don't need all the money that we receive, and therefore there is some set aside that can be used for giving to others. And that will bring us to the third rule here in a moment. One of the ways that Wesley noticed people were saving their money that was not helpful was saving it up for inheritance. Why should you spoil your children in this way? He says, fine clothes and luxury are a snare to them as they are to you. Why would you want to provide them with more pride and vanity? They already have enough. If you have good reason to believe that they would waste your wealth and do not leave it to them. I hope my kids are not listening to this, although 10 bucks is 10 bucks, you know, when it comes down to it. Wesley says, don't tempt your kids in this way. Don't leave them a massive wealth. I'm amazed at those parents who think they can never leave their children enough. Wesley says, have they no fear of hell? Is there only one child in the family? who knows the value of money and there is a fortune to be inherited, then it's that one who should receive the bulk of it. Give it to the one who can manage it the best, in other words. But if no child can be trusted in this way, then it's the Christian's duty to leave them only what will keep them from being in need. 
the rest should be distributed in order to bring glory to God. Again, we're, we're not building bigger barns like the parable that Jesus tells about the man who goes out and continues to build bigger barns until his life is required of him. And then what will happen with all of his wealth? Rather, we're storing up treasure to be used for God's kingdom. One of the ways that we can think about this is when we think about saving money for retirement. We also need to have an estate plan to think about what's going to happen with that money when we're gone. Will we tithe our estate? Will we give to certain causes? Jennifer and I, for example, have established a a fund at Asbury Seminary that when we are both gone, part of our estate, whatever's left, 10% of that will go into a scholarship fund there. 10% will go to another cause. So there there are opportunities for us to have that money go way beyond us, even when we're gone and we can't take it with us. So we have to think about how we're using those savings, not to simply spend them on ourselves or spend them on our children, but to think about how we're stewarding money for the long haul, stewarding it in light of eternity. So we gain all we can, we save all we can, and thirdly, we give all we can. Observing the first two rules is far from enough. Storing away money without using it is to throw it away, says Wesley. You might as well cast your money into the sea as keep it in the bank. Having gained and saved all you can, then give all you can. Why is this? Well, it's because you don't own the wealth that you have. Really, we don't own anything. We are merely stewards. That money has been entrusted to us for a short while by the God who brought us into being. All of it belongs to him. So your wealth is to be used for him as a holy sacrifice made acceptable through Jesus Christ. I always think of John Ortberg's great illustration of Monopoly. If you've ever played Monopoly, it takes a long time to play Monopoly. And I used to play it as as a kid with my cousins. And we would play in my grandparents' living room and we'd have the Monopoly board out. And I learned everything I ever knew about capitalism from playing Monopoly with my cousins. I learned about extortion. I learned about bank robberies. I, I learned about... Uh, you know, when you get up from the table, make sure you take your money with you because it might not be there when you get back, you know, things like that. So um, it's the ultimate capitalist game. I mean, you t- pull out the box, you distribute the money, then you you play the game. And the, at the end of the game, the goal is to have everything, to own everything in the end. And so you own everything. Awesome. You win fantastic. But then what happens to everything that you've gained through playing the game? Well, it all goes back in the box. And then the lid gets put on the box and the box gets shoved under the bed until the next time it gets pulled out. And that that point, somebody else is going to play with what was once your stuff and your money. See, it was never really yours to begin with. And Ortberg says something like, you know, all of us eventually go back in the box. We come into the world with nothing. We leave with nothing. In between, we are stewards of it. So the idea is not to win, 
to gain everything, but rather to end the game having distributed those funds in a way that outlasts us, that helps someone else, that makes a difference in the world even beyond our lives. If you wish to be a good steward, Wesley says, to be a good steward of that which God has given you, we have to use these rules. And the third rule of giving all we can is a big part of this. Use the remains. After we've provided sufficient food and clothing for ourselves and our households, after we've taken care of the basics, the simple basics, if there is surplus after this is done, then use what remains for the good of your Christian brothers and sisters. If there is still a surplus, then do good to all people as you have the opportunity. If at any time you have a doubt about a particular expenditure, Wesley proposes four questions. First, in purchasing this, will I be acting not as an owner, but as a steward of the Lord's goods? Is there any way I can use this for God's kingdom? Am I stewarding this well? I'm not as an owner, but rather as a steward. Think about property. Think about vehicles. Think about all those things. Am I using this in a way that is stewarding goods for the Lord? Second, am I acting in obedience to the word of God? Am I using this money in a way that conforms to the scriptures? Thirdly, is this expense a sacrifice to God through Jesus Christ? How would Jesus spend this money? It's another way of thinking about it. And then fourthly, do I believe that this expense will bring reward at the day of resurrection? That's the eternal question. Do I believe that what I'm using this money for has an eternal significance? And if you're still in doubt, Wesley says to put these questions as statements to God in prayer. Something like this, Lord, you see that I'm going to spend this money on whatever, And you know that I'm acting as your trusted steward according to your design. If you can make this prayer with a good conscience, then you will know that your expense is right and good. This is a a really important discipline when thinking about spending on something. Does this honor you, God? Does this expenditure represent good stewardship of your kingdom? If it does, then go for it. But if not, it should give us pause. So these then, Wesley says, are the simple rules for the Christian use of money. Gain all you can without bringing harm to yourself or your neighbor. Save all you can by avoiding waste and unnecessary unnecessary luxuries. Finally, give all you can. Do not limit yourself to a proportion. Do not give... God a tenth or even half of what he already owns, but give all that is his by using your wealth to preserve yourself and your family, the church of God, and the rest of humanity. So Wesley doesn't even settle for a tithe here. We we often talk about tithing, um, which is an Old Testament concept, not really talked about in the New Testament, but giving a tenth off the top to God. That's a great baseline, but Wesley's not talking about proportion here. He's talking about an attitude. Are we giving sacrificially? Are we giving generously? Now, for some people, 10% might be extremely generous. For others, that might just be the beginning. 
It depends on how much wealth we've gained. And again, the more we've gained, the more we've saved, the more we can give. Ultimately, that's the goal to give that money away. And Wesley demonstrated this himself. I mean, Wesley actually could have been a very wealthy man throughout his life because he gained a lot of money from publishing his tracts and sermons and those kinds of things. People purchased a lot of those things. His best-selling book was uh, A Primitive Physic, which was a a book of of remedies. And we're going to talk about that here on the podcast coming up soon. I I love that work. Um, It's... it's, uh, by turns really powerful in terms of what Wesley was concerned about. And that is helping people, especially the poor to have health. So it's a sort of a primitive form of 18th century healthcare, but at the same time, some of the remedies are are fairly hilarious. So we'll, we'll look at that down the road, but Wesley took all the money that he made from that and he essentially gave most of it away. He invested it in the work. He lived very simply. If you go to his house there in London, which is preserved at City Road, it's very simple. He dressed simply. Um, He lived simply and was able to act out exactly what he talks about here. So he's not talking about this theoretically. He actually practiced it. And I think Wesley would say that at the end of his life, he was able to give a good account of the stewardship that God had entrusted him with, that that God would be pleased with the way he used his money. And so Wesley says, I plead with you in the name of the Lord Jesus, no more delay. Whatever task is before you, do it with all your strength. No more waste or luxury or envy. Use whatever God has loaned you to do good to your fellow Christians and to all people. Give all that you have, as well as all that you are, to him who did not even withhold his own son, for your sake. Gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Three simple rules for stewarding money. Hope you'll take those to heart. And if you are a preacher listening to this and you're thinking about stewardship sermons, give this sermon a look. I've been using uh, an abridged version of the sermon here that's done in modern English. I thought it was really cool, but you can you can make this out of the out of the box. It is a it is a perfect three point sermon on stewardship, and you probably don't have to say even much more after that. But invite people to to place that somewhere, to think about it whenever they're giving, and think about it ourselves too. These rules do really work. They've worked for us and for our family, and I I think they will work for anyone who wants to use money in a way that. God will honor, and that is good for God's kingdom. Well, thank you for joining me on this edition of Wednesdays with Wesley. I hope you'll give the sermon on the use of money a good look, but also put it into practice. See you back here next week.